Well, good morning. We will come back to Tri-Village a little later in my message. I'm Rob, Pastor Rob. I'm the senior pastor here at Wheaton Bible Church, and I want to welcome all of you today. This is week number two in our series, Restored. We're calling it Restored because we're kicking off the fall. And as we kick off the fall, we are inviting you, I want to invite you this morning to renew your commitment to Christ, to seek to be restored personally, and then that together we might seek the restoration of the people and places around us. So we're using restored in two senses, personal restoration and then seeking restoration spiritually and, uh, and seeking renewal around us. The people, the places, the neighborhoods where we work, our family, our schools, and beyond. And to this end, we are looking at one of the greatest moments of spiritual renewal and revival in the Old Testament, spiritual restoration. And we're doing that by looking at one of its greatest difference makers, a man by the name of Nehemiah. What I find so interesting about Nehemiah is that this guy wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a priest, he wasn't a full-time religious worker. He was a layman who cared and cared deeply. As a matter of fact, when we come to Nehemiah in the book that bears his name, he is a Jewish exile, a foreigner, who has risen to become a leading government official in the pagan superpower of Persia. And in spite of the busyness of his life, in spite of the pressures, the demands of his job, in spite of the spiritually hostile culture that he lived and worked in that could have overwhelmed him, Nehemiah was one godly dude. This is one godly man. And he lived for one biblical cause, one burden, one passion. And that was to seek the restoration of the rubble that had become Jerusalem, following the waves of destruction. And by God's grace, Nehemiah lived to see Jerusalem restored. It takes place actually at the end of Old Testament history. And I say this because even though Nehemiah is almost exactly in the middle of your Old Testaments, chronologically it takes place at the end, even after Malachi, in the mid-400s B.C. So each Sunday during this six-week series, we are looking at one major ingredient in the recipe of spiritual restoration, spiritual renewal, as we see in the life of Nehemiah. So last week when we kicked the series off on Labor Day weekend, we looked at living a life of prayer. Living a life of prayer is central uh, to spiritual renewal. Now today, we're going to look at being a difference maker and how important that is that we might be all God wants us to be. You see, if you know Jesus Christ, God has called you to be a difference maker. 
I'm going to talk about it today in terms of living a sent life. Understanding that because I am in Christ, Jesus is sending me into the world to seek to redeem the world, to restore the world and the particular aspects of the world that I bump into that surround me. Now, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself because we'll come back and read the first 12 verses, but I want you to see this verse. Nehemiah is talking to the king. I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, and here it is, let him send me. Nehemiah will use this language in the next verse. To the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, which was a big deal to Persians, so that I can rebuild it. Nehemiah's life is spent in seeking to rebuild the walls, to rebuild uh, the city of Nehemiah, of Jerusalem. And let me just say, living this sent life, coming to God and saying, God, send me, send me into this situation, send me into this uh, brokenness, means that you as a believer understand, now hear me, you have been saved to be sent. You have not been saved to be comfortable, although there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. You have been saved to be sent. As I just said, to give yourself to redeem and restore the brokenness around you. Now, this is counterintuitive. It's highly countercultural. But living a sent life is central to spiritual renewal and central to living a life of joy. After all, God is ascending God, right? He sent Abraham from his homeland to populate the promised land. He sent Moses to Israel to deliver Israel from bondage in Egypt. He sent David to build the capital, Jerusalem. He sent Esther to deliver the Jews from annihilation. Nehemiah to restore after the destruction of Jerusalem, of Israel. He sent Mary to be the mother of Jesus. And best of all, God sent Jesus to die for our sins. And so later in the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, speaking to all of us as believers in Christ, and look what Jesus says. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. To be a believer means we understand that Jesus has saved me to send me. Wherever I am, whatever I am doing, Now, I want you to know that sending and going are two sides of the same coin. So, uh, here at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus uses the word sending. But at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, in the Great Commission, Jesus uses the term going, two sides of the same coin. So, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the first 12 verses of Nehemiah chapter 2, because I see three keys to being a difference maker. Three keys to living this life Jesus has invited us 
promised us, commanded us to live. So would you stand with me as I begin in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 1. In the month of Nisan, which is the Jewish month of March, in the 20th year of King Xerxes, he was the king of Persia, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart, perceptive king. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, that would be Jerusalem, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now look at me. Nehemiah in this moment is like this. Yes! Because he has requested boldly and God has given him favor. And this is a moment of unbridled joy. A a moment of personal internal celebration for Nehemiah. And it only continues as he asks more and more boldly. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God, it's all to the glory of God, was on me, the king granted my requests. God answers multiple prayers. So I went to the governors of trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and the Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. You may be seated. This is just a fascinating section of God's Word. And for those of you that are skeptical or have questions about the historical reliability of the Bible, let let me just show you this. These are pictures of Nehemiah's wall. What archaeologists have a fair amount of confidence are the ruins of the wall that Nehemiah rebuilt upon the ruins of the previous wall or or maybe walls in Jerusalem. And let me just say parenthetically, if you are interested in this and more, if you are interested in seeing Israel 
Author and speaker Tom Doyle and I will lead, will lead Wheaton Bible Church's third trip to Israel. This year, we're at, when we go, we're adding Petra. And I would love for you to prayerfully consider joining us. It's not going to be this year. It's going to be November of next year, November of 2020. And you can get information if you go to our webpage and scroll all the way to the bottom. What we see in Israel makes the Bible come alive, and I would love that for you. So let me go to key number one. Difference makers, and when Jesus says, I'm sending you, he's saying, you're a difference maker. I have brought you to myself to be a difference maker. Difference makers put God and his purposes first. Number uno. So look at verse 3. When Nehemiah asks this question, why shouldn't I look sad because of the ruins, because of the gates that have all been destroyed, I want you to know this is rooted in the reality that he is putting God first, putting God's purposes first. Otherwise, he wouldn't be experiencing this sadness, this discouragement, this deep frustration and disappointment we looked at in chapter 1 last week. And what I want you to see is Nehemiah is laying aside the privileges of living in the palace, the citadel, in the capital city of Persia, Susa, He's willing to lay that aside. He's willing to lay aside, at least temporarily, his prestigious job as a leading government official to spend himself on the physical and spiritual restoration of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah comes to this in Persia, right? He's in Persia when he's talking to the king of Persia. And the capital, Susa, is a trip of about a thousand miles to Jerusalem. So we have to ask ourselves the question, how did Nehemiah come to develop this burden? Why was he so dismayed or why was he so passionate? And one of the primary answers is because Nehemiah was a student of the Bible. He knew God's purposes because he knew God's word. Now, yes, he was busy. Yes, he had a very demanding job. But apparently, Nehemiah found time for the steady intake of God's word. And so specifically, what that means is that he knew that God's plan was to bless the world through a Messiah that would come from Israel. And he knew that if the walls were broken down, that Israel would not be secure. Israel would be defenseless. And if Israel was defenseless, then Jewish identity could be eradicated and Jews could be wiped out. And if that happened, there would be no people from which the Messiah could come. Nehemiah didn't see it all, but here... He is laying down his life for Jesus. He was a self-feeder. He was a Bible learner. 
The Bible mattered to him. He was a student of the Bible. So when we read, send me, Nehemiah is expressing what God has spoken to him through his word. As a matter of fact, 300 years earlier, the prophet Isaiah says exactly the same thing. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I, this is Isaiah, I said, here I am, send me. A constant refrain for the people of God. And what I want you to see is both Nehemiah and here Isaiah were willing to commit, were willing to submit, were willing to surrender because of their knowledge of the Bible and their confidence in the Bible. To live this kind of life is rooted in the steady intake of God's Word. It's the only way, frankly, that we can pull it off. Now, don't misunderstand. My point isn't that you all need to go to seminary. My point isn't that you need to leave your jobs and go into full-time ministry. My point is, have you ever with Nehemiah, have you ever with Isaiah said to God, send me into this? God, this area I, I see is broken, and, and I'm burdened. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm dismayed by this. God, send me. Have you ever said to God, God, send me across the street, send me across the hallway, send me across town, send me to this pocket of, uh, of uh, brokenness or, or, or that. Give me the grace to step in. Now, look at this. Next verse. This is the beginning of verse 11. It's just four words. It's Nehemiah announcing his arrival in Jerusalem. But what's unsaid is amazing. As I said a minute ago, we're talking a thousand miles on a camel. We're talking a thousand miles on a difficult, dangerous journey. We're talking sandstorms. We're talking oppressive heat. We're talking dust and dust and dust and rocks and rocks and rocks. We're talking flies, we're talking scorpions, we're talking snakes, we're talking thieves, bandits, and robbers. And all Nehemiah says is, I went to Jerusalem. When you live a sent life, everything else is beside the point. And he was focused on this central biblical issue. And I want to say to you this morning, of course, living this kind of life will require sacrifice. It will cost you. Uh, for me, this has been over and above what I do at Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, over the years, I, I um, do a lot of pro bono work. I've, I've done it for Family Life Ministries. They're blended uh, arm. I've been highly involved in a mission organization, Greater Europe a Mission. And, and, and these are ways that I can give, that I can serve, and I can sacrifice. For you, maybe it's a neighborhood Bible study. Or going the extra mile and hanging out with coworkers. Inviting people into your home, your neighbors or walking alongside refugees. It wears thousands of different faces. 
Six weeks ago, I asked a guy that was doing some work on our house because of our hail damage if he would visit Wheaton Bible Church. I told him the preaching was fantastic. (laughs) And he did. And now Wheaton Bible Church is his home. He said he really loves Hannibal. (laughs) And Hannibal got fired yesterday. (laughs) A couple weeks after that, I asked a young man, after sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with him, if he would like to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, if he'd like to put his full weight down upon Jesus for his eternal destiny. And he said yes. And he prayed with me at my kitchen table to receive Christ. People all around you are waiting to be loved. Many people are waiting to be asked. Jesus says, I am sending you. Who are you loving? Who are you asking? Extended family members, friends at school, people you work with, on and on. Do you believe that Jesus is sending you to a Jerusalem of sorts? Are you acting on it? And by the way, let let me just say parenthetically, because I want to help you in this, Sometimes God will give you a burden. Sometimes God will stir you and, and be calling you into something that you see, but nobody around you sees. And it's easy for you, as you travel down this road, to get frustrated with other people. Why don't they see it? It's a big deal. And I just want to say to you in love, If God has put a burr in your saddle, man, go after it. And be gentle with the people around you. And pray that God will open their eyes to what he wants them to see as God has opened your eyes. But don't clobber people. Because they don't see the same thing in the same way at the same time that you do. Now let me go on to the second key here. Difference makers expect struggles. For Nehemiah in chapter 2, struggles take two forms. There's internal struggles and there's external struggles. And I find this section to be very interesting. Uh, Let's look at the internal struggles. Let me back up to verse 2. This is an interesting statement. I was very much afraid. Now, here's this internal thing going on. It's fear. It's insecurity. So common among us, especially as we step out, especially as we step into something. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand. Nehemiah was a highly competent guy, a highly capable guy. He was decisive. He was a risk taker. He deeply, deeply believed in the sovereignty of God. This guy was a man's man in the best sense of that. But we all have our moments, right? But there's more to Nehemiah's fear than what meets the eye. Let me explain this as a matter of history. The king Nehemiah is requesting, his boss Artaxerxes, is the same king in the preceding book, 
the one that precedes Nehemiah, Ezra, who had issued a decree to stop Ezra, the Jewish priest, from building the temple and rebuilding parts of Jerusalem. That had happened prior to what's going on here in chapter 2. Now, Nehemiah knows that. Nehemiah knows that this king has issued a decree earlier to put a stop to the work in Jerusalem. And so, Nehemiah, now get this, uh, is taking a huge risk. He's asking the king to reverse his own previous policy. And you bet he was afraid. Of course he was afraid. But what I find so fascinating is that Nehemiah does not, so hear this, he does not succumb to his fear. He does not succumb to his feelings of fear. He doesn't listen to them. Instead, he talks to them. How does he talk to them? Well, we read just a little later that he prayed. Now, in chapter 1, we have a long prayer. Here, some people call this an arrow prayer. It's like a five-second prayer. It's a kind of prayer that you may pray before you're making a difficult telephone call, having a difficult conversation. God, help me in this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. And Nehemiah prays. Now, feelings, let me just say something about feelings. Feelings are not unimportant. But feelings like fear will keep you from living a sent life. It'll keep you from asking somebody how you can pray for them or uh, would they like to plug into a Bible study or attend church with you or it'll keep you, fear will keep you from stepping into a situation because you're rationalized. I don't have the time, you know, I, I, I just can't do it. Hear me, brothers and sisters, you are not what you feel. In Jesus Christ, you are beloved son and daughter of the king of kings who has given you gifts and talents and circumstances and situations and passions and burden, burdens that are unique to you that no one else shares in the same way. And he is calling you, Jesus is calling you to step in. Oh, I see rubble here. Or, you know, this needs to be addressed there. And often it means we start with our family or we start with our friends. We start with where we work and we just expand those circles. And will this be difficult? Yes, it'll be difficult. But we anticipate struggles. It's the most difficult roads that lead to the most beautiful destinations. And as a believer, I want you to get this. It's the most difficult roads that lead to the most beautiful destinations. Living a sent lifestyle costs you. It costs Jesus his life. Uh, years ago, shortly after the fall of the Iron Curtain, I was on a mission trip in an Eastern European country, I was in the airport, an airport, a regional airport, with my seventh grade daughter. I went into the men's bathroom, and I got robbed. 
by a soldier in uniform carrying a machine gun. Now, did I say, that's it, I'm never going back to Eastern Europe? No, I've been back multiple times. I regularly pray for the church in Eastern Europe. Uh, Living this kind of life is not easy, so we expect struggle, we expect feelings, we expect things going on inside that are going to cause us to want to uh, just retreat. But there's also a second aspect of struggle here. There's also external struggle. In verse 10, these two men, Sembalat and Tobiah, are regional leaders in the area immediately surrounding Jerusalem. Think of them as governor types. And they're not just disturbed. What are they? Uh, They're very much disturbed. And as these chapters in Nehemiah unfold, these guys are going to do their level best to stop Nehemiah at every point. So I want to ask you an important question. As we face internal and external struggles, what do we do? How can we overcome them? Well, I want to look, I want to drag grass for a second and look at a parallel illustration in the life of Moses. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read this. Moses and Nehemiah are similar. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did he do? He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Uh, Like Nehemiah, he left the palace. He said, I'm no longer going to self-identify as Egyptian. I'm going to self-identify as a Jew because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, Moses lived a thousand years before Nehemiah. But Nehemiah and Moses have something in common. They refuse to let culture define success for them. And unless you push back biblically against culture's definition of success, that's how you will define your own personal success. So success for Moses, success for Nehemiah, uh, wasn't power, it wasn't privilege, it wasn't wealth, it, it, it wasn't fame, it wasn't earthly rewards, it was heavenly rewards, but it was something else that enabled Moses and Nehemiah to live this way. Look at the next verse. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not, feeling, fearing, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. This is the secret sauce of overcoming your feelings, overcoming opposition, overcoming the things that that hold you back. It's you taking your eyes off your circumstances, uh, pressing beyond your feelings because you see him who is invisible. And it's a game changer. And I've memorized this verse and I'm constantly telling myself this, hey, Rob, you persevere. The way you persevere 
You're frustrated by this. You want to punt on this. As you fix your eyes on Jesus, you see him who is invisible. And now I want you to see the third key. Difference makers follow God's lead. I'll be brief here. Look at verse 9. We read this and it doesn't seem like a big deal. The king had also sent an army and officers in Calvary with me. Now, Nehemiah deeply believed in God's sovereignty, God's protection, God's presence, God's power, right? But yet he welcomed a military escort. But what's so different is that 13 years earlier, Ezra remembered this Jewish priest in the preceding book on his journey back to Jerusalem, refused the same escort. So we read Ezra's rationale. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had told the king, and here it is, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. Now follow this, what was wrong for Ezra was right for Nehemiah. So we have two very godly men making two very different decisions and taking two very different approaches. Look what one commentator says. One man's commitment to God precluded the escort. The other welcomed it. Ezra regarded soldiers as a lack of confidence in God's power. Nehemiah viewed them as evidence of God's superlative goodness. Christians frequently differ on important issues. Now, I know you find that hard to believe. And it's a mark of spiritual maturity if they can handle those differences creatively rather than engaging in damaging verbal warfare. First century believers differed on some questions and Paul urged them to stop passing judgment. We are bound to think differently on occasions. Before we hastily judge others or reject them, we must make every effort to attempt to understand and love them and discern what we can learn from them as we make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And can I just say honestly as a pastor, if we understood this, my job would be a whole lot easier. And I want to encourage you to be careful of baptizing your preferences. I'm not going to have an escort. Oh, this escort is great. Uh, We're going to worship differently. We're going to serve differently. We're going to live our lives uh, uh, differently. Let's be charitable with one another, kind to one another. Let's believe in the goodwill of others in in spite of the fact that we may disagree with them and our disagreements may be significant. God has made us differently. God has called us to do different things. God has different plans for people that want to be difference makers. Now let me apply this to Wheaton Bible Church. We believe we exist as a church to send and to be sent. This is our third value. It's an aspirational DNA component of who we aspire to be as a church. That we would send and be sent. 
And Nehemiah is one of many biblical illustrations of this. So let me flesh this out here at Wheaton Bible Church. This value, which we see in chapter 2 illustrated, is why Wheaton Bible Church invests $2.5 million every year in the local and global cause of Christ. Why we give it away every year to people that want to be difference makers here and around the world. It's why we as a church support 90 missionary couples and singles in different places, in different parts of the world. It's why here on this campus, for example, and these are just some examples, we have an adult class taught in Arabic for Muslim refugees, a French-speaking class for French-speaking Africans, a class in Khmer for Asians. It's why Wheaton Bible Church invests so heavily in our Pointe ministry. And now today, we are the largest social service provider in West Chicago. Jesus says, I am sending you. We exist to send and to be sent. It's why we have our preschool ministry. So we can reach young families in the neighborhoods and the, in, in the communities uh, around us. And to the glory of God, over the last two years, our preschool ministry has increased by 50%. The word is getting out. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. What makes a healthy church isn't seeding capacity, it's sending capacity. And I wonder this morning, are you living a sent life? But there's more. This is why Wheaton Bible Church is a multi-site church. Multi-site means we are one church in multiple locations. And every location is our church. Every location is Wheaton Bible Church. And, and so today, we're celebrating the three-year anniversary of our Tri-Village Streamwood campus. Because it was three years ago, we sent Pastor Will and 120 adults north to Streamwood. And here we are three years later, and that 120 adults is now 350 adults. In three years, it has tripled. Let's celebrate that. Thank you, Father. And it's why today I am privileged to announce that we are ready to prepare to launch our second campus roughly a year from now. Our plan all along has been to go north. We went north first, then to go south, then to go east, and then after that, do we go further north, do we go further east, do we go west? Uh, we'll have to look at that when we get closer. But we believe, and hear me on this, that God is leading us to start a campus in the Warrenville area to reach Warrenville, to reach North Naperville, and to reach South Wheaton. We now have a short list of sites we're visiting and we're looking at. We have already formed a core team, and this morning I want to invite you, if you are interested, 
to live a sent life and join this initiative that will bear fruit or will be realized a year from now. There'll be an informational meeting in October, and you can get the information on our website. For 90 years, Wheaton Bible Church has been a sending church. And when we talk about sending, when we talk about starting campuses, it's, it's painful for us. Because we will lose wonderful people and they will go to different campuses. But healthy churches, hear me in this, healthy churches gain by losing. We gain by losing. So 120 becomes 350 in three years. Now, we started north with 120 people. We want to do better when we go south, and we hope to start with about 250 people. Will you pray about that? But let me conclude. Let me wrap this up by saying, I don't want you to misunderstand my point today. My point isn't be like Nehemiah. Yes, I want you to learn from Nehemiah. But the story of Nehemiah isn't ultimately about Nehemiah. Ultimately, it's about Nehemiah pointing to Jesus. Because Jesus is the better, the greater Nehemiah. And Nehemiah points directly to Jesus. Uh, Jesus didn't merely live an earth, uh, leave rather an earthly palace. He left a heavenly one. He didn't come to rebuild walls, but to tear down the walls of sin and animosity. That separate us from God. How did Jesus do that? By going to the cross and dying on the cross in our place for our sins. So the moment you and I believe, we might find forgiveness, acceptance, purpose, significance, and the power and the electricity to live as difference makers. And how is that? Well, the power comes to the extent as believers in Christ that we don't focus on what we must do, but we fix our eyes on Jesus, the King of Kings, and we see a bleeding and dying Savior hanging on the cross. And when we see Jesus, what does that do? It melts our heart. And it creates the want to, the power to step into the rubble around us. And I wonder this morning, are you all in? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Let's pray. And so, Father, we thank you for this incredible story, for the difference maker this man was, who points us to the ultimate difference maker, Jesus Christ. And we ask God now, as we turn to the table, as we turn to Jesus, we ask that you would continue to speak to us. Amen.